Okay, I think we're right now. Yes, we are. Okay, so um, I'm going to take us through the reading, Ephesians chapter 2 and uh, verses 1 to 10. So if you'd like to follow on in your Bibles. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We would have all heard the question asked, what do you want first, the good news or the bad news? Well, in these verses that I've just read, we have both. We have the good news and we have the bad news. And uh, today I'm not giving us the choice because in the text the bad news comes first. So verses 1 through to 3 contain the bad news and then verses 4 through to 10 contain the good news. Um, I'm going to spend a little bit of time dwelling in the bad news and that's because we do need to understand it and understand it quite well. Because if you don't understand the bad news, you don't realise that we also need the good news. That's what I find so much when I'm travelling around in rural areas and I'm witnessing to people. Uh, so often the problem is they don't understand the bad news. Then they don't want to hear the good news. They don't think that they need it. Okay, let's have a look at it. Let's read these three verses again, the bad news. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. In verse 1, we find that Paul is addressing Christians in Ephesus who were prior to their salvation spiritually dead in their sins. Then in verse 3, he says all of us, 
and now he's connecting Jews and Gentiles and he's saying we were all spiritually dead in our sin prior to salvation. And these verses apply to us today just the same. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So that's referring to everybody in the world who has ever lived, every human being. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But what does this sinfulness mean? We need to understand what this sinfulness is about because that's the problem. If we don't understand our sinfulness, which is the bad news, we don't realise that we need the good news. And then that's very bad news, as Simon said. You know, it's good if we do, but it's very bad if we don't. Sometimes we look at people and, and we think, oh, they're bad people. They commit adultery, they, they cheat, they gamble, uh, they get drunk, they, they, they're abusive, and, and on we go. And then we might think in comparison that I've lived a good life. Or perhaps I've even grown up in church. Some people have what we might call a before experience where they're really bad, at least in an outward sense. Then they come to Christ and then they become really good. And then other people seem to live a life where perhaps they've grown up in church and there's no real before and after experience. It's like on the outside that they've been uh, good all the way through. And that was my experience. I had a church upbringing, uh, but when I was 13 years old, I was on a Christian camp and I made a very powerful decision that I wanted to follow Christ. It was a real profession of faith. I didn't just want to live on, on, on faith of parents or because I went to church. I really wanted to follow Christ. So I made that real uh, profession of faith. And I remember um, it was at a camp and, and they loved to, you know, if people came to faith, they loved to pray, you know, what we call the sinner's prayer where, where we really affirm our faith and commitment uh, in Christ and confess our sins um, and uh, after everyone was put to bed, one of the camp leaders took me into the kitchen and we sat down at, the, at one of the long benches there and uh, he just shared the gospel with me, made sure I, I knew what it was all about and then, then I prayed a prayer of, uh, of faith. And I remember it so well. It was a long time ago. I remember it so well because this leader, he, he was already in his jammies and he had a onesies on, you know, those, like his, his feet were covered and it went all the way up to here and it was blue and white stripes. <laughs> and it was like professing my faith to bananas in pyjamas. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I remember that all, you know, really, really well. <laughs> but are all good people also sinful? See, see we, we, we like to point at some people, oh, they're definitely sinful, they're bad people. And, and then we look at other people, and, and on the outside, you know, as far as the community goes, uh, they, they, they look okay. So are they sinful people? Are good people sinful people? Well, Paul gives us the answer in verse 3, because he says all of us, 
also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Paul, remember he was a Pharisee. He was ultra-religious and he tried to live by the rules of the Bible, but he also includes himself in this. We are all by nature sinful. And let's just have a little bit of a look at it. Um, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That's, that's God's first commandment to us. You shall have no other gods before me. But look at all the things that it's possible to put before God. There's a whole lot of things. I'm just going to list some. Family, our house, our status, money, possessions, pleasure, leisure, education, career. It's possible to put all of those things or any of them uh, before God. Uh, people sometimes say to me, I have real trouble reading my Bible regularly. Uh, some people say, I have real trouble praying. And uh, why is that? Because uh, 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 in the morning or of an evening when we sit down to read our Bible or, or we're going to pray, uh, we find it really hard. Why? Because pleasure and leisure take over, don't they? So we're putting all these other things before God. It might be TV, it might be Facebook, it might be computer games, you know, a good book, whatever it is. But, but we so readily and easily put things before uh, God. Look at the sixth commandment, do not murder. Well, we all quickly say, well, we haven't done that and we're not intending to and uh, likely is that no one here will ever do that. But in Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus links murder to anger and he says, if you are angry, you have already sinned. And uh, the seventh commandment about adultery, well, we might uh, all say, well, I'm not going to commit adultery but Jesus, again, in Matthew 5, he said, if you look lustfully, uh, then you've already committed adultery in your heart. Uh, if you jump to the ninth commandment, uh, don't be a false witness against your neighbour. You know, don't tell lies. Well, I don't need to say any more. I don't think any of us are squeaky clean. Then the tenth commandment, don't covet. You know, don't be jealous of what other people have. I don't think there'd be anyone here that could say, well, we're never jealous or, or covetous of other people. So already we can see, just in, in, in talking about it for a couple of minutes, that none of us are squeaky clean. None of us are outside of, of sin. And it's too easy to live a self-indulgent, self-seeking, self-glorifying uh, life. All people do that. E even when we appear upright in society, we still have all of these things going on in our life. Um, many, many years ago when I was a church pastor, um, I went to the car and I had this terrible habit of sitting things on the roof of the car to unlock and then I'd put things in. Anyway, one day I put all these things on top of the car, took everything in except I left my diary on the roof, hopped in, drove you know, off, went to visit somebody, came back to church, went in the church office and thought, oh, the diary. And then it dawned on me. I thought, I know what I've done. So anyway, I went back, hopped in the car and went driving on the same route, thinking surely my diary's got to be somewhere. 
Anyway, a few blocks away, I found it. But someone else had found it first. And what they'd done, just for fun, I reckon, they, they got it and they ripped out all the pages. And by the time I got there, it was literally everywhere. It was over the road. It had gone up a drive into the front yard of a person's place. And I thought, oh, no. Anyway, I, I, I went and tried to collect it up. I think I got it all. And I felt really terrible when I realised I'd lost the diary. Do you know why? It was only a diary for appointments, um, but I had names and addresses and phone numbers of heaps and heaps of people in the diary. And I felt really bad for them. And, and I felt bad for me losing it. You know, terrible thing to do. But imagine this. Imagine if it wasn't a diary but a journal. And in the journal, we recorded all our deeds, you know, everything we've done, everything, and all the things that we haven't done, all the times when we've neglected to do things, all the times when we knew we could have helped somebody but we didn't because we just couldn't be bothered or, you know, it wasn't convenient. And imagine even more so if we put in it all our thoughts, all our thoughts, all our thoughts about everybody. So there was a journal of our life, of everything, and then one day we're walking through the mall and we lose our journal in the mall and it's picked up by a film producer. <laughs> and you know as well as I do that they make good movies nowadays, don't they? <laughs> and imagine if they made a movie of everything in our life and it was going to be put up on the big screen. Friends, we would be doing everything we could to recover it and to stop that movie going ahead. Why? Why would we not want the world to see it? Because by nature we are sinful. And there it would all be out on the big screen. You see, we all, all people in the world have two problems. One is by nature we are sinful and then without Christ we are held captive in that sin. And in verses 1 to 3, it gives us like a triple layer of bondage that keeps us spiritually dead. And the triple layer of bondage is this. The world's culture is sinful. The devil is misleading us and our sinful nature with its internal desires. So those three things, just the very culture of the world, the devil and then our own sinful desires keep us all held in bondage to sin. And on our own, there is no hope, utterly no hope at all. And that's the bad news, the very bad news. Let's just have a brief look at verse 2 where Paul talks about the ruler of the kingdom of the air. And, of course, he's talking about Satan or the devil. And in Hebrew thinking, the kingdom of the air is the spiritual realm between earth and and heaven. And so they, they're saying that's where the devil is. And 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So we have this enemy at work who is trying to destroy us and to keep us from God and to keep us in sin. And the devil has power over the world system. He has power over demons. He has power to influence, to mislead and tyrannise unbelievers. 
and he lies to us about God's word and he tempts us uh, into sin. And there's evidence for it at work in the world today. The Quest Study Bible lists these things as evidence for the work of the devil. Hate, war, murder, injustice, exploitation, abuse of power, racism, moral disintegration. And I just want to add a few other words. Corruption, greed, neglect, selfishness, lust for power and pride. The devil is very strongly at work in the world. In verse 3 we read, like the rest, all of us, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So we've already said it, we're all born sinful and sin is all too active in us and we deserve God's wrath. So that's the bad news. Our state, our situation outside of Christ is grim. It's grim indeed. But friends, now the good news. Now the good news. Verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. That but at the beginning of verse 4, it's the best but, the greatest but there has ever been because it leads from death to God. We were sinners, but God. We were dead in our sins, but God. We were enslaved by the devil, but God. We were deserving of punishment, but God. We were deserving of wrath, but God. We were dead, but God made us alive with Christ. Verse 4, because of his great love for us, God made us alive when we were dead. Praise God for his love. Verse 4, God who is rich in mercy. Mercy is withholding God's wrath, withholding the punishment that we deserve. God is merciful to us. We deserve the wrath and punishment of God for our sins, but it went upon Jesus. Jesus took our sins and the punishment for our sins Upon himself. And then in verse 6 we read, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is our spiritual position now. We have been raised with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. This is past tense. This is not something that's still going to happen. We already are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. That is our spiritual position. And that is so powerful because in that, 
It means that in the future, we, we have an inheritance that is waiting for us. We are going to be glorified in Christ. We are going to be living in the new heaven, the new earth. We are going to be living in the presence of God. This is amazing news. This is the good news. This verses 6 and 7, an amazing statement which should fill us with joy. Our Christian life is amazing. It's amazing now because spiritually we're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's amazing. And it's amazing because we have a future glory. And you know what? On days when I'm feeling miserable, I just thank God and I say, Lord, thank you because no matter how tough life might get now, I know that one day, one day, I'm just going to be there looking upon Jesus, sitting upon his throne. There will be no more pain. There will be no more tears. There will be no more mourning. I won't even have to battle with my own sin anymore, which drives me nuts. (laughs) I'm so sinful and wicked. But there won't be that battle anymore because we'll be perfected in Christ. Friends, we've got all that waiting for us. It's utterly and totally amazing yet sometimes for for some Christians their their disposition it's more like they're still dead when they're alive in Christ there's this humorous story told about ducks I don't know if you like ducks or not but here's this story every Sunday the ducks in a certain town waddle out of their houses down Main Street to their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and squat in their pews. The duck choir waddles in and takes its place and then the duck minister comes forward and opens the duck Bible. He reads to them, Ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. All the ducks shout, Amen. And then they all waddle home. Sometimes, as believers, we waddle when we can fly. Sometimes we waddle into church all miserable and then we waddle out of church all miserable. Sometimes we waddle into the workplace Monday to Friday all miserable and we waddle out of the workplace at the end of the day all miserable. We're like that when we fail to appreciate that we have been made alive in Christ and we await incomparable riches that God is going to give us through kindness shown to us in Jesus. When we appreciate that we are made alive in Christ, it brings a joy into our life and it helps us through the dark times but we have to realize it we have to appreciate it 
And look, I know that times, you know, in our life, we might go through utter grief and loss and, and sometimes life's just really hard or we might be battling health issues and all kinds of issues. And I know there are times when we are downcast as we're trying to work our way through that. And friends, I, I believe that's okay. I think that's a part of life. You know, sometimes we have to work through those things and, and come through them. But that should not be our general disposition. We should be people of joy and, and people of peace and people of quiet power in, in Christ. And, and I'm not suggesting either that we should all be giggling Gerties, you know, that, that we get around, <laughs> you know, all, all like that, and that should be our disposition. I'm not suggesting that. We can get around and look quite serious. But people, when they're talking to us, should not have to scratch very deeply to find the joy and the peace and the quiet power and the serenity that we have because we were dead in our sins. But now we are alive in Christ. And look at the future that awaits us. This is an amazing life that Christ has brought us into. And in verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We cannot earn our, our salvation. God gives us salvation as a free gift which we receive by faith. My family, uh, we, we lived for a couple of years in Brisbane and when we got there, some people were buying a new car but instead of the, the, the car that they have, instead of trading it or, or selling it to get money, they gifted the car to us. And um, so, so we gladly received the car. It was very, very helpful to us over the couple of years uh, that we were uh, in Brisbane. But friends, all we could do was receive it and boast in the giver. You would think I was crazy if I stood here and said, well, we were given a car, aren't I good? I'm so good for receiving that car. Oh, they're always driving around in the car. Oh, look, it's, it's all on me. I'm just one. You'd think I was nuts, wouldn't you? Who can you boast in? I can only boast in the lovely people who gave us the car. And I've done so many of times since in sermons telling this story. And, and, and I can only boast in the giver. Friends, it's the same with our salvation. We can't boast in ourselves. We've done nothing to earn our salvation. All we can do is boast in Christ. And what a great boast that is. The boast in God and his love and his riches in grace and mercy to us. Let's keep boasting in God and never, ever, ever stop. And in verse 10, the last verse, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So as a response to being made alive in Christ, we now serve God with good works and good character. 
And we should never say no to that or to neglect our responsibility because these good works were designed by God even before we were born. How about that? Isn't that amazing? And, and, and it says here that, that we are God's handiwork and the good works that we do, they're God's handiwork. But you know what? God's handiwork is a masterpiece. It's always a masterpiece. You know, if you put me in a room and, and gave me an easel and, and a canvas and, and a palette and, and all the good oil paints and the brushes and those other, I don't even know what you call them, little spatula things or whatever, gave me all the tools and set me to do a painting, you, you would come at the end of the painting and you would be dismayed. <laughs> you would think, oh, uh, stick to stick the other job. <laughs> But imagine if he gave all that material to Picasso or to Rembrandt. Then we would come and look at the painting and we would think, wow, that's fantastic because they, they would be a masterpiece. Friends, our good works and our good character in the hands of God, it's a masterpiece. We're a masterpiece. Don't ever underestimate the life that God has called us to. We might think, oh, it's not much really. But, but when you put us together collectively and all the believers in the world, it's a masterpiece. God is sending out his message into the world. Our, our good works give glory and honour to the Lord. Friends, we were dead in our sin. But we've been made alive in Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly realms. We truly can fly. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. Lord, we thank you for that reading out of Isaiah chapter 40, that, that even youths grow weary and tired. But, Lord, you are never weary or tired. That's what we read. You never tire. And you give us strength and you enable us to fly with wings as eagles because, Lord, you took us out of a dead, sinful state with no hope and you made us alive with Christ. Lord, help us to understand and to appreciate and to have laughter in our life because we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and we've only got way, way better to come. Lord, we thank you so much. We give you all the praise and honour. In Jesus' name, amen.